stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm asking an important question. Can you get rich off basic ETFs? So this was kind of a last minute podcast I decided to do because I was having a chat with someone on Twitter about this very topic. So basically it started off as the Roth IRAs or even the IRA limits should be raised from their current level of $6,000 a year or 7,000 if you're over age 50 because this person wanted to be able to put more into the you know tax-free accounts to get richer faster. And then I said, well, why not just put more money into the 401k and then combine it with like an IRA on the side? And his response was, you know, those are boring. They only have like indexes or target funds in them and you can't get rich off of that. So it made me start to think, given our bull market here of, can you get rich off these normal index funds? And why not just be invested in the index funds? Because with the kind of returns we're getting, especially here in 2021, it's really hard to beat the returns of the basic index funds. And by basic index funds, I'm talking about the S&P 500, of course, and even the NASDAQ QQQ ETF um, that tracks the NASDAQ 100. What if you just put your money into some of these over the last, say, 10 years? I'm thinking you'd be doing pretty good, right? And that would be easy. But of course, a lot of people would say, well, I could have bought like the Fang stocks or Fang Man or Tesla or Shopify, some of these really hot stocks of the last couple of years. So I took a look around at some of them to see what would you be doing, say, in the last year if you had freedom of choice and you were able to just invest in whatever you wanted to in an IRA, say. So I took a look at Amazon. As we know, it's not doing too well over the last year. So it's up only 5.4%. And that's versus the S&P 500 over the last year. So this is not year to date. This is from November or well, late October 2020, just before the vaccine was announced from Pfizer. Remember, that happened in early November. So the market got a boost off of that announcement. So within the last year, it's been pretty hot on the overall stock market. But Amazon didn't really go anywhere during that time. The announcement of the vaccine didn't help Amazon because everybody thought, oh, they won't need to be ordering as much or using Amazon as much on the reopen. So those shares have basically not done hardly anything in the last year. Again, up 5.4, but the S&P 500 up about 35% during that time. Now, over the two-year time period, because Amazon soared during the pandemic, Um, Two years up 91% for Amazon and the S&P 500, also solid, but up 51%. So yes, you were outperforming if you chose Amazon, but still two years, 51%. That's that's pretty good uh, return right there. Um, Apple, I took a look at that one. AAPL, of course, is a ticker. One year, it's 29.2%. 
So still a little bit underperforming the S&P 500, which is up again 35. But again, over the two-year time period, it's crushing it up 142, 142% versus the 51% for the S&P 500. What about outside the tech land? What if you had bought Chipotle after you know it uh, got hit on the initial pandemic? What if a year ago you decided to go into that? So Chipotle breaking out to new all-time highs. CMG is the ticker. One-year return, 30.9%. And in a normal year, that would sound pretty good. <laughs> you're, you're doing pretty good on your investments if it's 30.9%. But one year again on the S&P 500, up 35%. I took a look at Lululemon, hot retailer, ticker Lulu, L-U-L-U, and one year, again, a pretty good performance, up 28.9%, but still not beating the S&P 500, up 35%. So how good is the 35%? Well, under the rule of 72, if you take 72 and divide by the rate of the return, that should give you how long it would take to double your money. And at 35%, obviously, it's doubling and just 2.05 years, but the rule of 72 gets a little bit weirder when it gets above like 10% returns, um, not as accurate. So it might even be quicker, a little bit quicker than two years at the 35%. At 12% return, you're doubling every six years. So again, the S&P 500 has done 35% in one year, 51% in two years. So you're, you're doubling pretty quick under this level of returns. Now, I also took a look at like at least one of the early pandemic winners. So what if you bet on one of those? Over the last year, May, oh, Wayfair, ticker W, is actually down 4%. So how easy is it to like beat the S&P 500 when the S&P 500 gets this high? It's not that easy because I was just rattling off some of the hottest stocks that are out there. And a lot of people won't necessarily guess right and be in the hottest stocks, right? They'll buy um, other things that maybe might not do quite as good or they do choose a hot stock. Chipotle, Lulu, both of those have busted out to new all-time highs this year but yet both of them are not even beating the S&P 500. So it's not that easy to do to when the indexes get this hot to actually beat that level of return. So I also took a look just at the index and what has it been doing over the last 10 years. So I looked at Vanguard's ETF, the VOO, that's just their general S&P 500 ETF. I've said in the past that I own it in my own personal portfolio. I know many of you are like, oh, that's so boring. But the 10-year annualized, so going back to 2011, is 16.5%. So now the S&P over the last 10 years, because of the, the big boom over the last two years, really, is now annualizing at 165 So $10,000 invested in September of 2011, um, through September of 2021, because that's when Vanguard has their updated info. And September was kind of a little bit of a down month on the stock market. Um, so it's even better now that I'm recording this at the end of October. But 
we have the data through September. So $10,000 invested was $46,426. And this is just in the boring old S&P 500. Now I know what you're gonna say like, oh, if I had bought the Amazon in 2011, it would be far more than that. And certainly it would. But in this way, this boring way, you don't have to guess whether or not it's Amazon or you know Exxon is going to be the winner. We don't know. But this way, you're buying that diverse group of stocks and you're buying you know the 500 largest companies and you're still able to get a return of 10,000 to 46,000. Now, I did take a look at the NASDAQ actually over that same time period. And if you had put the 10,000 into the Invesco QQQs or the NASDAQ, it would be up to $66,107 by September 2021. That's, that's not too shabby either. I saw an article from The Motley Fool talking about how um, ETFs could pay for your kid's college. And they went back 15 years ago. So say your child was you know, three years old and you wanted to start investing and they went back in time 15 years ago and put it in just the S&P 500 fund over 15 years. Now it's, it, um, oh no, this was in the triple Qs. I'm sorry, they put it in the triple Qs over 15 years. And this goes back now, you know, before the great recession. So things were a little rough there but the average annualized return of the triple Qs over that time was 16.5%. And $10,000 invested plus $100 a month would give you, according to their calculations, 194,000 in 15 years, or they believed enough to pay for your child's uh, college education by just putting it into the triple Qs during the 15 years, but you couldn't take it out, couldn't panic. You couldn't get bored and buy something else with it. You had to stay in plus $100 a month. So that's 1200 extra every year, but you, and you started with 10,000. So what is in the triple Qs though, that's giving it the outperformance compared to the S&P 500, because it is quite considerable outperformance. So the 10-year annualized return of the Invesco QQQ is now 21.3%. That's um, you know up quite a bit from the 10-year for the S&P 500 at 16.5. Both of them are pretty tremendous, but 21.25% under the rule of 72 uh, isn't too shabby there. <laughs> You're pretty much um, doubling in what, like three years or something, right? Uh, so that's not too bad. And that's why a lot of you in your own brokerage accounts, or if you do hold something like the Invesco QQQs in your 401k, you're looking at those balances and you're like, wow, because it's very unusual to annualize at over 20% over even just a 10 year time period. That's tremendous. Three-year time period, it's now at 28.29%. That's um, also, again, just tremendous, but we're seeing this acceleration as the bull market has picked up. So the top 10 holdings are basically parts of FANG, well, basically FANG man plus Tesla. So Apple's the largest position at about 11%. 
Microsoft at 9.8%, Amazon at 8.3%, Facebook's about 8%. They own both like the A shares and the other shares. So um, the same with Alphabet, they own the A shares and the C shares, but that's about um, 7.5% or so, um, 7.4%. Tesla's on there at 3.9, and NVIDIA wraps it up at 3.7. But if you count the different types of shares as just one company, then the two other companies that round it out is PayPal at 2.5 and Adobe at 2.05. But the top 10 without PayPal and Adobe are 55.7% of the triple Qs. So you are very dependent on this very select group of high growth stocks doing really, really well, which it has, all of them have over the last, you know, three to five years, especially. And some of them are the, you know, among the best performing stocks of the decade. Netflix is not on here, but Tesla is one of them. And so you have even better returns when you have one of the big winners being one of your top holdings like that. So sometimes the indexes just aren't too shabby, right? Um, I don't see anything wrong in investing in some of these indexes, except that some of you believe you can do better. You can just own some of these on your own and pick and choose. Um, you, you know, I don't own the triple Qs, but I own many of the stocks that are in the top 10 of the triple Qs. So I'm getting similar performance off owning the individual positions. Um, And you can do that too, but it's just easy. It's just easy to buy these indexes and you get the benefit of all the other great companies that are also in there. Um, Like I said, PayPal, Adobe, two big performers that are also basically right in or out of the top 10, depending on how you look at it. Um, And so this is easier because it might be difficult to buy shares in all of these, especially Tesla, again, trading at $1,000 a share. Google's, you know, up over $2,000 a share. Amazon's over $3,000 a share. And I hear, even though you can buy parts of a share through some of the brokerages now, I always hear like, I can't afford it. I can't afford Amazon. Well, the triple Qs is a way you can afford it. The uh, S&P 500 also owns all of these stocks. And so you can get them in there as well. So yeah, just looking at this kind of information makes me think it's not too boring to own the ETFs. And yeah, you can get rich off of the basic ETFs during a bull market. No doubt about it. We saw it also in the 1990s. It becomes very difficult for professional money managers or people like myself that run portfolios to try to beat the S&P 500 because unless you're owning, again, like some of these big, big winners, um, you're going to own some like a Wayfair that aren't doing so well in any particular time. And so it becomes very difficult when you're getting up over 20% returns to try to beat it in your own individual portfolio. Um, Might seem like it's kind of easy when you have like a Tesla doing what it's doing. But if you don't choose that one stock, if you didn't get lucky or smart enough to bet on Tesla, then it becomes much more difficult to get those 
big, big winners and try to beat some of the indexes. So as Warren Buffett has said, and his Lieutenant Ted Weschler, there's nothing wrong with the indexes and they believe in betting on the indexes. And yeah, you can do really well with just the basic indexes, but you have to stick with the plan. You have to continue to put some money in there, dollar cost average for when we do enter a bull or a bear market, I should say because eventually we will enter that bear market. I know, sad to say, it's not here yet, but when it comes, um, and dollar cost averaging will be your friend in those situations. But I encourage people to have some money in a basic ETF, especially if you're saving for like some of these just kind of regular goals. Um, It's, you know, right now during a bull market, this is an easy way to uh, get closer to your goals faster. And it can really compound quickly at that 20% rate. Fingers crossed, we continue with some of these kinds of gains over the next couple of years so that we all can really benefit from this bull market and our investing. So let me recap some of the stocks I talked about again. Um, So of course there's, you know, Amazon, and it's ticker AMZN, there's um, Apple, AAPL, Chipotle, CMG, Lululemon, LULU, Wayfair is W. Um, Then we had just the Vanguard ETF, it's VOO, and Invesco's QQQ ETF, it's QQQ. The share price is pretty high on that one now, so they did come out with like a mini one, QQQ Amazon Mary is the ticker on that, which is a little bit cheaper. I don't know, I didn't look to see what it's at now, but it allows you you know, to buy more shares of it, but it has the same similar holdings in it as the original QQQ. So they kind of launched that to help newer investors who might be intimidated at buying you know, over $300 per share of the QQQs and say you only want to put $1,000 in, well, that seems kind of lame to buy like three shares of the QQQs, right? Even though, um, you know, it shouldn't feel lame, but it does. So that's why they offered the mini and it allows you to buy a little more shares. So, you know, maybe you can get 10, you know, eight to 10 in there or something like that. I, I didn't see what it was trading at, like I said, but check that one out too. And again, don't turn your back on the, uh, index funds because these are just the basic ones. These aren't even any kind of fancy indexes, you know, or or like more niche uh, areas you could look at. And a lot of these are performing really, really well just buying the market. So keep these things in mind. I'm bringing new stock ideas to you every week. We're going to go over some of these uh, more interesting things that are happening during earnings season over the next couple of weeks. So, and then we're at the end of the year where I'll have all the, you know, what stocks you should be looking at for 2022. Yes, it's looming already. So be sure to subscribe to get all the Market Edge podcasts. You can get us on Spotify, of course. You can get us on Amazon Music. We're on Apple. We're on SoundCloud. We're on anywhere you can find your major podcasts. But be sure to get us somewhere. And I'll see you again next week with some more stocks. 
This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.